coming. We appreciate you being here. I'm Therese Van Ryn, and I'm the Global Director of Public Relations for Zebra Technologies. And we're joined today by Matt Swenson, who's the Vice President of Emerging Products and Technology for the NFL, as well as John Pollard, and he is our Vice President of Business Development for Zebra Sports. Now, before we dive into the sports side of things, given the uh, Super Bowl is coming very quickly. We thought we'd tell you a little bit more about Zebra Technologies as a company. You know, innovation is exploding at the edge of the enterprise, and we really empower frontline workers to give them a performance edge. And you can tell by our commitment to R&D, over 10% of our revenue is dedicated to R&D every year, far exceeding our competitors. And this is what helps us have an innovation-centric mindset. And we deal with a number of different verticals. For example, in retail, we're helping sales associates have a performance edge by giving them information at their fingertips through the devices that they hold and can help you get insight into the inventory that they have in their store, as an example. And even in the transportation and logistics space, the boxes that you have delivered to your home with a barcode label, those are most likely printed on a zebra printer scanned by a delivery person with a zebra scanner and you can see how it gives that end-to-end -end solution of visibility in your everyday life. So with that we would like to talk more about sports and I will hand it over to John to dive into what we do with the NFL. Thanks Therese. Well 2019 season uh, was the sixth season that Zebra's been the official on-field player tracking technology partner of the NFL. Um, our original deal lasted, started in 2014 and we renewed our relationship with the league um, this past summer and that uh, arrangement and partnership continues through the 2021 season. Um, in addition to what we have on the slide are some images of the actual chips that are placed inside the shoulder pads of all the players on the field. We also have an image of the chip that actually is embedded inside the bladder of the football that goes, goes in during the construction of the football. So all players on the field are chipped and tagged. Um, and we, what we do with the information is we gather who's on the field, where they are in the field, and we gather metrics such as, such as speed, acceleration, deceleration. We can also measure proximity, which translates to some of the more interesting uh, and fascinating next-gen stats that we'll talk about a little bit later in the presentation. Um, in addition to uh, being the on-field player tracking technology for all games, we also have an ancillary business where we have almost a third of the league's teams using our system or an analogous system in their practice facilities. And in fact, the Miami Dolphins are one of our practice clients, and that's an arrangement and partnership that we have directly with the teams with the support of the league. Uh, so we hope to continue to grow that business as well. And we're finding more and more teams liking the opportunity to correlate performance metrics during a practice week or throughout the course of a season and then matching that to the game performance information. Great. Matt, would you like to take us through some high-level stats from this season? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, as part of our group at, at the NFL, we have a research team that pulls together some metrics uh, after every game and during every game. And so they went ahead and did some research around the matchup coming up and kind of looked at how these teams have performed over the course of the season to find out what was giving them their edge. And so uh, some, key, some key metrics here is just the sheer speed that both these teams exhibit. So on the, the Niners side, Matt Breda is the fastest ball carrier for the second year in a row. 
Um, and then on, on the Chiefs' side, you've got Tyreek Hill, who's just always fast, but uh, it has the fastest speed as a non-ball carrier. So we kind of measure him a little differently because you, it's not as easy to run as fast when you're carrying a ball down the field. Um, so that's so we should expect them, you know, a very fast game uh, out there on the field this Sunday. But then we also looked at what about the, the offensive weapons? So Patrick Mahomes is a deep threat. He throws the ball very successfully uh, down the field on deep passes, which we define as 20 yards or farther. Um, and so you can see he ranks in the top five. I think he's actually number two, but his, uh, he's got the most touchdowns on deep passes this year. Conversely, the Niners have allowed the least amount of pass completions on the deep ball. So when you look at what Mahomes has done over the season and uh, what the Niners have done to prevent that type of uh, approach, we're going to have to see how this plays out on Sunday. It could be pretty interesting. And then finally, uh, we have a little note here on D Ford, who has been out for some portion of the season. But what we found is when he's on the field, they are pressuring the quarterback 34% of the time. When he's not on the field, that pressure rate drops down you know, to low 20s. So his impact on the field is, is great. And actually, Bosa's sacks on, on the defensive side also have come a majority of the time when D Ford's out there. So the fact that he's you know, back and healthy and, and going to be ideally going to be playing on Sunday uh, should throw another little twist in the game. So those are kind of some of the key stats we, we, we pulled. But obviously, there's a lot more that you can dive into with all this data that we collect um, off the Zebra system. And we're about to get into that a little bit more. As Matt mentioned, he talked about some highlights that we can expect to see in the game on Sunday. What we really enjoy about the information that comes from next-gen stats is that the information itself brings an entirely new level of dimensionality to the game. It helps us appreciate the athleticism and the explosive capabilities of these players. And in fact, we probably, who are you know, researching the game and watching the various media coverage leading up to Sunday's um, uh, game, is that we hear that these teams are athletic. Well, again, the speed metrics actually translate to that. As Matt mentioned before, the Chiefs and Niners are one and two in average speed by ball carriers through the 2019 season. A little bit more into detail, we talked about Raheem Mostert and Matt Breda. Um, they're a duo that the two, they've reached 15 miles per hour on 29% of their total carries, and they only trailed uh, Delvin Cook uh, in that category. And just to, for context, 15 miles an hour or so for a ball carrier on an average is really high. It's typically something we'd see more in the wide receiver group uh, and not so much the ball carrier. So again, it just accentuates the athleticism of those two players. Also, we noticed in the, the, for the 2019 regular season, there were three, uh, the Chiefs, two Chiefs players recorded three of the top 20 speeds recorded uh, during the season as ball carriers. McCall Hardman had a 21.9 mile an hour um, uh, run and also a 21.7. And as you can see, Sammy Watkins recorded a 21.3 miles per hour. So again, they were three of the top 20 recorded the entire season. And as Matt mentioned before, Matt Breda, he had the top speed for the second year in a row in 2019. Now, this information is interesting. And if we think about a number of years ago, before NextGen started, I mean, we wouldn't have thought of miles per hour as a metric that's common in football. And what we've seen over the six years is teams becoming, and media, and us as fans, becoming more comfortable understanding what miles per hour means in terms of translation on the field and performance. What we wanted to show on this slide is to talk about some common metrics that we're used to hearing as fans, like yards after catch um, and explosive plays and those types of things. So the speed actually translates uh, very nicely to uh, categories of statistics that we've heard are more familiar with. Uh, first off, in the playoffs, we noticed that seven of the top 12 speeds recorded during the playoffs were from Chiefs or Niners players. So what we saw in the regular season, that carried over into the postseason, and we would expect to see, see that in Sunday as well. 
But in terms of translation to other metrics that we're used to seeing, speed typically could be affiliated with yards after catch, how much, play, how much plays get extended on pass plays, for instance. Also the potential for explosive plays down the field. As Matt mentioned, 20 plus yards down the field. Typically an explosive run is recorded with 10 plus yards down the field. And as you can see, the Chiefs rank second in total yards after catch, and the Niners rank fifth amongst the entire league for tw the 2019 season. Also, for pass plays of 15-plus yards, the Chiefs and Niners were third and fifth, respectively, in terms of ranking there. So again, we're seeing the players' athleticism translate to metrics and putting them at high atop the rankings in these categories. Also wanted to mention that, the, interesting to watch the game, the Chiefs tend to get the ball down the field more uh, differently. So as an example, for a 12-yard pass, for the Chiefs, maybe 10 to 12 yards might come through the air. The Niners, they actually get a lot of yards on extended plays. We think about their great, great, great tight end, Kittle. He extends the play a lot. And as you can see, the Niners are second in the league in percentage of total passing yards being yak at 56.6%. Uh, also, something to notice, the, uh, Matt had mentioned uh, Terry Kill and his ability to be explosive. All the players on somewhat speed on the Chiefs roster. The Chiefs uh, separation average for their, for their wide receivers, they average 3.7 yards. Uh, which was first in the league on an average pa pass play for targeted receivers. The Niners re uh, ranked six, so they were also highly ranked. Yeah, I think just a, a, a point to add on there. So Kittle actually leads the league in uh, yards after catch and combined, if you look across all wide receivers and tight ends. So he's, he's an amazing athlete at extending the play and, and creating something more out of, you know, after getting that catch. Um, w one thing I wanted to mention is you're talking about, you know, the speed of players, and, and that is actually one of the fundamental metrics that comes out of the zebra system, which people have come to more understand what it really means to be running 22 miles an hour, I that that is fast. Initially, people weren't sure, like, well, what does that mean? But I think people are starting to understand that now. But that, to your point, is a building block for many other stats that, as you're going to go through more, you're going to see how the stats have progressed over the years from kind of basic things that come out of the system initially to derived metrics and then even more of the machine learning and more advanced stats that we're creating, like completion probability. and. Um, even the expected yards after catch versus what they actually did. So most of us are aware that uh, probably part of the game plan for the Niners on Sunday is their, their ground game. Those great athletes are going to need to run, run the ball to set up their offense to be productive. And we wanted to talk a little bit about you know how these uh, how these runners uh, stats look in, on the next gen side, and if we look at the first column, uh, it was an EFF. That's an efficiency column. What's really interesting about this is we've heard for a long time that a runner can be categorized as a downhill runner. Well, what I like about the efficiency statistic is it allows us to measure who truly is a downhill runner. What efficiency stands for is how much distance is traveled to actually gain one positive yard uh, on the rushing side. And so the lower the number, the more likely the, the runner is a downhill runner, a north-south runner versus an east-west runner. And so runners who are typically more elusive will, get, will be less efficient. Doesn't mean they're less effective, but it's one way to study the game and see it in a different way. Also, uh, the TOLS, the middle column, the time behind the line of scrimmage, that's also interesting because that tells you how long the runner back is before they get to the line of scrimmage once they have the handoff. And so that gives you a measurement and also provides some dimensionality to the type of st running style a player might have. Um, some interesting things here, M uh, uh, Mostart and Breda, along with Tevin Coleman, they had huge success when they faced eight men in the box, or what we'd say a stacked box, which is pretty amazing. So. Teams are lining up in a defensive look that may be, you know, to prevent the run, and they're still very effective. And they saw, uh, Coleman saw eight or more defenders in the box on 40, over just over 40% of his carries, Moster on 32%, and Brader on 30%. 
And for all three runners, that was first, ninth, and 11th, respectively, for those three running backs uh, during the regular season. Also, some interesting things to watch for during the game. The Niners, uh, really heavy use of 21 personnel. And for those of us who aren't familiar, 21 personnel means two running backs and one tight end. Uh, they use the highest rate at 28% of their snaps are in 21 personnel, and they gain 6.9 yards per play, uh, which, was uh, which was third in the NFL. Um, the 49ers also have been more effective. When they run 21 personnel, they're more effective. In fact, they gain about a yard and a half more per attempt when they're in 21 personnel versus another personnel grouping. And the last thing that really want to keep an eye on, the 49ers are a strong side running team. So where the tight end is, the power side, the Niners, um, they run 64% of their outside runs are to the power side. So that's a key you can look at at the game and keep an eye on that. Something, the last thing I'll say about the Niners, for 21 of their 23 rushing TDs have been on runs towards the strong side of the formation. So clearly, I would assume Kansas City understands that. They're trying to defend against it, but it's a tendency that you can pick up from looking at the numbers. Pat Mahomes, we could have an entire presentation on the capabilities of this quarterback and next-gen stats and the various categories of metrics really you know, highlight so much of the things that he does on the field. A couple of things. Uh, since the 2018 season, Pat Mahomes leads the NFL in deep passing TDs. Deep passing, again, is 20-plus yards in the air. Um, he has 25 TDs and over just over 2,300 passing yards. And as I mentioned a couple of uh, moments ago, his receiver's average separation on those passes are first in the league. Again, the athleticism of those wide receivers, the types of routes that they run, they create great separation between uh, their, their defenders. Also, you can see that uh, Pat Mahomes averages 10 yards per attempt on pass plays when he has more than 2.5 seconds to throw the ball. Um, talking about time to throw, in the first column, uh, first off, the, the table at the top is the regular season average, and then the playoffs is the second table. I circled the, the time to throw. If many of us might recall the playoff games, we've seen Pat, when he's flushed out of the pocket by a pass rush, he becomes even more dangerous. First, he's a running threat, but he's also a danger. He doesn't necessarily have to run. On the move, he can throw the ball extremely well. And what we saw in the last two playoff games for the Chiefs is that when he extended plays, when it looked like he was in trouble, he created a lot more opportunity for himself and threw the ball down the field. So he tends to attack the ball down the field when he is flushed from the pocket. And he can also run. Um, now, interestingly enough, though Pat's been very effective on deep passing attempts throughout the entire season and continued that through the playoffs, the Niners' uh, defense has only allowed nine deep receptions, which is first in the NFL, and a low completion percentage of 20% on deep passes. So now you're looking at the strength of the Chiefs going against a very powerful strength category for the 49ers' defense as well. Uh, Matt mentioned this a few moments ago. Uh, the Niners' pass rush, we know they're extremely athletic up front, their front four. The effective rate of that defense, they can get pressure with four men uh, versus, and that allows them to have more defensive backs, which will cover some opportunities uh, and try to defend against the pass versus the Chiefs. Um, so they get a lot of pressure um, at, at that point with the four-man rush. We'll look to see that on Sunday. Continue. Well, yeah, one other note on the, the Niners' defense. So D Ford, who I mentioned earlier, um, he, he actually has the, the third fastest, what we call pass rush get off so his ability at the snap to get across the line of scrimmage he's 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 extremely fast in, in doing that and um, you know he's coming back from an injury so we'll see how he performs but he that's why he is a threat and why there's so much focus on him and as well as Bosa but it'll be really interesting and the final thing we want to talk about is both teams have fantastic tight ends 
Travis Kelce, Kelsey's been a stalwart you know, tight end in the league for years. And obviously Kittle's had a tremendous year and continues to seemingly get better by the week if that's possible. So we wanted to mention the tight ends will certainly figure in both offensive game plans. Uh, we know Kelsey, Kelsey had 81 receptions uh, while lined up in the slot or the wideout. Again, his lineup being in the slot or the wideout is a testimony to the athleticism of the player versus a traditional tight to the line of scrimmage lineup for, the for Travis. He gets wide or in the slot. Also, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Kittle has most yards after catch for all players in the regular season with 641 total yards after catch. So again, not only is he fast and creates separation for himself, but he's so strong he's able to break tackles and extend plays. Uh, Ki uh, uh, Kittle was also first amongst all tight ends, as you can see, in yards per route run. A um, couple other points I want to make, uh, about third, third from the bottom, uh, Kittle and Kelsey in terms of their, they're really close in terms of their yards, uh, yards per target. Again, this, this is a testimony to the athleticism of these tight ends. They're not just running short routes, they're getting downfield and they create pressure on the defense for that. Um, and I, the last thing I want to mention is uh, almost 61% of Kittle's total receiving yards came from yards after, after the catch. So I'm sure that these, you know, you know, the coaches of the Chiefs are trying to accentuate solid tackling, tackling, sound tackling, and trying to shorten the plays versus allowing him to get downfield on them, which will be a difficult task even if they know that, but I'm sure they're preparing to do that. Thanks, John. Very fascinating data. Any questions from the audience? Sir? Got a microphone if you don't mind. Oh, I'm sorry. Sure. What's the average speed of a skilled position player? It feels like that most of the time when I see the data of how fast somebody runs, it's anywhere between 18 to 21 miles an hour. And rare, very rarely do you see somebody 23, 24 miles an hour. So I'm just curious, among the running backs, receivers, tight ends, the average speed for those guys. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to look that up. It, it, it kind of depends on, on the play, right, and if their, their ability to break away. That's, so uh, Matt Breda hitting the top speed, I believe, is 22.3 miles per hour on the season as a ball carrier. That was the top speed. Um, it really depends on you know the play direction if they're able to get away from from guys or not and if they're stopped. But you you look at 18 to 21 as an as, a, as an average I guess you could say top speed that they're hitting. It's around that range. Sure, yeah, that for sure. If if they're as a ball carrier, I, that's what I'm saying. It'd be about 18 to 21 on average. If you're not carrying the ball, the, the speeds get much higher, especially when you're looking at special teams plays where these guys are you know gunning down the field unobstructed. Are you able to develop like more like speed profiles of the individual players? Because obviously with all these different situations and their acceleration factors and stuff like that are all going to be a little bit different. Do you ever build these kinds of visual profiles so that they can, you can compare these players one to the other? Yeah, we do that exact thing. So we have various tools that we provide to our clubs um, that they can go in and see speed zones, how often does a player walk versus jog versus sprint. Um, and then there's a number of accelerations and decelerations as John was discussing. Um, and there are there is the ability to, on a per play basis, to see the graph of a player's speed over the course of that play. Um, or in relation to other players, you can group them by position. Uh, you could even group them by you know height or weight. There's a lot lots of ways to split the data up to look at that. And when you said that D Ford is like third fastest off the ball, um, are, is there a way? Do you does does the chip technology uh, measure 
you know force essentially like um, once once a player sorry because there's a difference between like sort of snap timing and and what the player actually starts to accelerate how he starts to move sure yeah so the, the chips are providing us location based data only there's no okay. actual force you would have to do some sort of calculation okay. but in our experience the chips themselves are not enough to tell you what that force is. There's just too many factors on, you know, is it a direct hit or is it just, did he get clipped? Like, it's not really um, giving us that type of information. Um, so it's really more of the location-based data and what you can derive off that. And sorry, I, I don't want to occupy all you. Um, do, you, do, you <laughs> do you have a lot of this, uh, do you have a wing of this available? Is this uh, um, specialized towards player evaluation in any way for the, for the, know the sake of the teams trying to evaluate free agents um, I know this can't be applied to college yet because you guys don't have the the chips and the college uh, players but um, have you guys developed a lot of uh, I guess end uses for that in the evaluation yeah so as I mentioned we we have tools that we provide all of our clubs that they are able to get more insight into the data and so we while we have built visualizations and reports for them they also have access to the raw data and they can do any type of reporting they want to do. Um, they work with folks like Zebra to take the game data and do more analysis of it than, than we the league may provide um, and provide more custom, I guess, answers to questions they may have where at the league, what we do, we do for all 30 teams. Yeah, just to add on to that, uh, as Matt said, we engage the teams directly and those teams that use us in their practice facilities we do analytics with them and help them build correlations. And what's what's interesting is all the teams we work with, there's a, a there's a synergy between, there's a commonality, and then there's differentiation based on the types of things they're looking for. But one scenario that I'll bring up is uh, the chips uh, for special teams players. They only get so many reps during a practice week. And what's interesting is a lot of teams like to ensure that those players get a certain amount of sprints set by their staffs to ensure that they don't incur a soft tissue injury or a pull because they only get so many practice reps. And that's one of the more interesting ways we've seen them use the information that they're monitoring just not just on wear and tear, but to make sure that those athletes are getting enough accelerations, getting enough reps on the field that they are prepared for maximum output on Sundays. Matt, where can we find NextGen Stats and more information? So uh, we have a, a microsite as part of NFL.com. So if you go to nextgenstats.nfl.com, you can see a lot of the, the public-facing stats that we've created. It's not all of the data we've we've pulled together that would actually just confuse fans because it's just too much information. So we've put a lot of the key stats out there, and, and as we release new stats, we provide that as part of the data tables and visualizations that people can see. And when fans see next-gen stats appear on the screens, not only in the stadiums but on their TV screens, you often see AWS affiliated with next-gen stats. Can you tell us their role versus Zebra's? Sure, yeah. So Zebra's role has has been the technology in getting data off the field. And so the players where the tracking, uh, the tracking chips and the tracking systems are installed in the venue. AWS is more of the part that helps us process that data. Um, it's a lot of data that we pull in. Um, and all, with all these advanced metrics we're creating, like I mentioned completion probability or, or uh, expected yards after catch, there's a lot of processing to do on that. And so we use their servers and services to actually generate that data. Um, but Zebra is the ones that power basically at the stadium uh, level to get the data you know, off the field. Very good. Any questions from the audience? We talked about this before, um, the ball data. 
uh, you guys, this is starting to, I guess this is this year only that are the first year that you've been doing ball data, like um, exit velocities and stuff like that, or have you been doing it for a while? So we've been do doing ball tracking for three years okay. now, um, and we've primarily used it uh, as added context for some of the stats um, in, in some of the measurements we take. We don't have a lot of um, fan-facing use cases. Like, you can't really go onto our website and see certain ball stats, but we do have things such as, you know, the longest pass thrown, things like that. Um, we're not doing exit velocity right now or the speed of the, th of the pass. Um, but those are things we're looking at doing in the future more of. Okay, so that's something that's more in development um, that might be coming out in the future. Yeah, it's something to look for in the future for sure. Okay. Uh, in the practice environments, um, it's interesting. The, the ball metrics that we're able to capture, like velocity and rotational information, again, it's still new stage. Coaching staffs are looking at it with curiosity and investigating it more. I think that'll take some time. Um, but special teams player uh, coaches really enjoy it because punters and kickers get really interesting information like rotational data. Uh, we've heard forever, you know, a, a quarterback can really spin it. And the chip actually ca captures rotational information. We've had discussions with coaches, uh, performance coaches, talk about, you know, spin rates on quarterbacks. Or, you know, people have a higher spin rate, the more likelihood they can tend to be more accurate. It's suggestive, it's directional information. And also in weather conditions, uh, a tighter spin rate can, again, lead to more accuracy. That's some of the hypothesis and discussions that we've had uh, with the teams um, over, the, over the last few seasons. It's a good point. I, 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 you definitely capture some of these things. We're still trying to make sense of how it translates to a player's performance and what story you're really telling with it. That's good. I would look forward to that data in particular because um, some of our fans and you know, speaking of somebody in the media, um, we talk about the arm strength issue and the, um, like you said, ball spin and yeah. the different ways of evaluating the quarterback and you know the speed the speed of the pass getting there just you know two tenths of a seconds earlier than than it uh, with some guys than with other guys can mean you know six feet of separation depending on the the speed of um of the players at the at the final end of it so you know that's that's stuff that I think that would be really interesting going forward to be able to explore um, especially uh, as you're able to put together profiles of these quarterbacks because. They're not all throwing the same pass for all the time uh, at every distance. Right. You know, there's going to be profiles based on distance and profiles based on situation and stuff. Like that. Yeah, this and then sometimes the style of, of play and the, the yeah. type of pass was it a floater, an intended yeah, floater right. or not? Yeah, absolutely. And also on you know on the run, you know, some guys are going to throw it a little bit different on the run, throwing right, throwing left. You know, sure. it's 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 really. It's a fascinating area of study that uh, I think uh, I've done a lot of in the past and some of our fans and stuff that we talk about a lot. It's, it's really exciting. I, I will tell you a quick story about ball <laughs> the ball chip. We get excited about the advanced metrics and still it's new, it's evolving, it's growing, and it is really exciting. But I'll tell you in the practice environments, the chip itself, it actually counts how many times a quarterback uh, throws the ball. So in the past, coaching staffs have had assistants or quality control people literally just keep manual counts of a, uh, of a player's throws. And a lot of time before practice, structured practice session actually starts, guys will go out and throw 30, 40 passes. But ultimately, is that going to wear and tear over the seasons that affect their performance in practice and ultimately during the game? So as, as much as the advanced metrics are interesting and really exciting, and they are, the practicality that we can now automate pitch counts uh, in the practice environment, teams really find that beneficial as well. How much of what you what you guys do at Zebra with the customization with the teams, um, 
and you have individual relationships with the teams and, and your technology and their practice facilities. How much of that do you think gets aimed at um, essentially sports science and health uh, stuff versus, versus evaluation? That's, that's a great question. So the, the genesis, typically our engagements will be the strength and conditioning and performance staff. Uh, but now, certainly I'd say certainly the last 24 months, last two years or so, we're seeing more the scouting department, the personnel groupings come in and have some interest as it is another enriched data source that they're getting more familiar with. And I'd say there's probably, it always seems to run, work in thirds, eight to ten teams that are really studying it from a coaching perspective, looking at tendencies and studying it and learning how to feel comfortable integrating that in their typical evaluation, game planning, and self-scouting activities. So strength conditioning and, and performance was the genesis. Personnel has been on board uh, more and more um, over the last couple of years, and now coaching is just starting to get into it from, my, from our experience. From the league standpoint, the, the data has been a critical component for our health and safety initiatives and trying to find ways to make the game safe and make sure that players can recover and um, you know, try to find correlations in the data from how the game is being played and injuries that may be sustained. So it's, uh, it's been a, a critical component of that, and uh, we've announced an, uh, a couple months ago that we're embarking on a larger platform to take this data in with other data and, and really make a platform that's going to really help you know, make the game safer and better overall. Uh, just one quick, do you, do you borrow a lot from other sports? I'm d I think they work a lot with some of this data in say soccer uh, internationally. Do you, um, I guess, communicate with and, and sort of uh, float ideas back and forth with respect to how to apply it to player safety and player health that way? Yeah, I, I don't run that directly, but uh, I think we're all looking to share with each other the right way to approach sports, and, and there's several conferences and discussions that are going on, so, yeah. Matt, earlier you mentioned some of the innovation around the stats, some newer stats that have been introduced. Will we expect to see anything new in the Super Bowl this year? Uh, I don't know if there will be anything specifically in the Super Bowl that's, that, you haven't, that hasn't been uh, done this year. I mean, we're, we continue every year to create new statistics and try to find new ways to tell, you know, a story behind the game or a player or the matchup. Um, you know, the stats we've shown up here are, are kind of telling um, on why a team has performed has, as they have. And, you know, it opens questions of are they going to perform that way in the Super Bowl. Um, but we'll continue to, to create new stats, and we typically release them all at the beginning of the following season and then maybe sprinkle a, through a, a couple throughout the season, but nothing uh, unique going into this game. Got it. And, John, you were at the Senior Bowl recently. This type of data was captured there as well, right? Yeah, so the 2020 Senior Bowl game played in Mobile, Alabama, where, uh, the college all-star game. Uh, this is our third season of tr being a tracking partner for the Senior Bowl. And not only do we have the game metrics itself, but we also record the practices, which going back to the personnel evaluators really enjoy. The, the, the team scouts and personnel people like to get access to those reports. Again, it's not a silver bullet per se, but it's an enriched set of information they've never had before. Um, so that's something that we've, we've been doing and that we have great success, a uh, lot, of, lot of engagement. And it's also telling that, you know, with the charge of the NFL, uh, you know, hopefully college football will want to get into this realm as well. Very good. Any other questions? So, I, oh, sorry. I wasn't here at the very beginning of the press conference. Do you guys measure accuracy in terms of, like, a pass that's on target versus off target? Like, obviously, a, a completed pass, maybe where the receiver is going back for it, wouldn't be an on-target throw. 
It's a good, it's a good question. We're not doing that now. I, th I think the data can enable us to do that. That's something that we've, we've been talking about looking at doing in the future. And beyond, I, I already know about the next gen site. Is there an additional site that might be available to media or fans who are willing to pay money that could get some more of the information that you guys have collected? Uh, not currently, but that's a good idea. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll think through that. Royalties, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you talked about um, the media applications and a little bit about health and safety, but can you tell us a little bit more about what the NFL is doing with the data? Um, is it doing anything else? I think you talked about the teams a little bit, but can sure, yeah. So uh, globally speaking, uh, we take the data and it, you see it on broadcast, you see it online. We we do it on social on our Next Gen Stats Twitter handle. Um, internally, we use it for health and safety purposes. We also use it uh, as with our football ops group. So they they'll use it to analyze the game and evaluate should there be rules changes or other ways to approach certain parts of the game. And then finally, it goes to our clubs and they use that for reviewing the game. Uh, we've talked to some coaches that said, um, you know, th they've saved hours upon hours of trying to draw play diagrams for every play that has happened in the game where they can just kind of print them all once the game is over. So it's been a lot of time savings for clubs. We're not currently tracking uh, the combine that's been discussed uh, maybe in the future, but currently we're not tracking. We, there was a test done a couple of years ago on a small population of players, but nothing definitive yet. Excellent. Well, thank you all so much for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, John. Great to have you with us, and enjoy the Super Bowl. <laughs>